And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic As I've said to them this morning as well, you know, trust yourself. You know we're, we're better than this. We, we, we've not been able to show it. But go out, chest out, enjoy being a Man United player. Champions League, the biggest stage. If and when you win the game, you're through to the next round. Michael's going to be in charge. Michael's, I've got the utmost respect. He's, I, I love Michael to bits. Becoming emotional now because he's top. And uh, nah, that's, uh, they'll, be, they'll be fine. I'll, I'll watch them and support them. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and as usual we are joined by The Athletic's Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell. So it's happened, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not Manchester United manager any longer. I guess there's not many people left around saying that he should still be the boss but lads, give me a brief summary then. Give me a brief summary then of how you're feeling, Andy? I'm a bit sad that it came to this. I understand why it came to this. I think it was the right decision. Manchester United have been absolutely appalling. Results have been bad. Performances have been bad. But just just sad that it didn't work out. I, I felt that Ollie was doing a decent job up until a couple of months ago. I think he's a decent person. But United's flaws have been ruthlessly exposed, not just by Manchester City and Liverpool, who are clearly top teams, but by by Watford and by Leicester who've not been informed putting four past Manchester United so sad but the club moves on it's just this huge machine that just ploughs for everything dominating the media landscape in football and we've got Villarreal on Tuesday night yeah we'll preview that game certainly and obviously the new I was going to say new structure that's in place but the same structure without the headline that's in place for that match Um, we'll get into that of course as well Laurie, just your feelings, really. We heard a snippet of Solskjaer just a moment ago and his interview sort of, um, well, it sums it up, really, doesn't it? He sort of looked and felt how a lot of Manchester United fans look and feel today, really. Yeah, he was very emotional and I think it's, um, you know, you, you can only admire the fact that he wanted to do that exit interview to say goodbye and the, the genuine um, feelings that he has for the club were clear to see. I think ultimately he just wasn't good enough and he had moments where it felt like actually maybe it could happen um, but clearly the doubts grew, the fact that is he too nice, um, does he have that ruthless edge um, became um, a situation that was untenable really and he, and he did have to go. When did you first hear about it Laurie? Saturday night coming back from Watford, um, got a message at about, you know, well, to be fair, during the game, you know, sort of messaging people, trying to figure out could he survive this and the way that they were playing, the the fact that it was, you know, Watford were creating chance after chance. You know, they missed two penalties 
David De Gea does a point blank save, numerous other chances, and they were two 0 up. It was a shambles of performance from United's perspective. So you know, could he survive this after the game? People are telling me no, he can't survive this. And then I got a message at sort of like half seven saying he was gone, or you know that's what they'd heard. And then later on, sort of half half ten, sort of eleven o'clock, you know, it's all been sorted. He is going now. Obviously, United have a different version to say that actually it was only in the morning when he was that that decision was ultimately taken. But I think everybody understood the situation. You know, we're told that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said his goodbyes um, after the game um, at Vicarage Road. And also at half-time, we're told that he looked like a man who knew what his fate was going to be because he knew the dramatic way that United were falling to defeat, just could not see him in the job. How how can he have any authority and power over players when that's the kind of performance they produce him? Yeah, I wasn't working at the weekend. I was actually at a wedding in London in Mayfair, dressed in a tuxedo, sipping champagne. And I got my phone out. I think I'm the first Oldham lad ever in the Savile Club in Mayfair, by the way, but it's happened now. <laughs> I laid my Oldham flag in there and the waiter's coming around saying, uh, more champagne, sir. And I sort of got my phone out, I had a look at the score and they were 2-0 down at half-time. <laughs> Mate, just leave me the bottle. <laughs> Did it work? It got, wor- it got worse from there, yeah. And I sort of looked at your tweet through one eye, at whatever it was, midnight, <laughs> to see what had happened uh, after a lot of free champagne. But uh, Andy, there was lots of sort of rumours about this idea of an emergency board meeting or summit or whatever to thrash things out and sort things out immediately after that Watford game. But what's the reality of what happened? On Saturday night, I was uh, covering a game of football at Camp Nou between Barcelona and Espanyol. I was asked by my editors, it's a big game, it's Xavi's first match, I'd done stuff with Xavi. So I had this ridiculous situation where we'd done the United We Stand podcast at Watford, people in the away end, everyone's absolutely fuming, my phone's going mad, but I had to go and cover a game of football and I'm like, I also quite like being married and having children. I'm like trying to explain this to <laughs> minor to, to my wife, and like I've got people messaging me who are livid. I'm like, I'm not making the decision whether it's actually it's nothing to do with me. And then I had to do my job. And then I'm getting like, will you do a live TV interview? Yeah, but I'm at a game. Can is the Wi-Fi in the press box? Yeah. Can we do the live TV interview while you're in the press box during the match? And I'm I'm like, other journalists are looking at me through. What on earth is going on on here? So it was just a ridiculous and fast-moving situation. As Laurie said, with people saying different things on Saturday night, I I sense when a story's breaking like that, some people uh, don't reply because they know what's going on. So sometimes the silence can can be an indicator. Um, More revealing than you, anything, You have people it? who yeah. think, uh, you'd think, no what is going on but they don't know what's going on and they're almost coming to you and you know people are really close to it and I can see Laurie nodding his head we you know Laurie and I wouldn't speak on something like this usually but we both speak to lots of different people and you have this vacuum where there's all sorts of rumours but I do think it was pretty straightforward I think the decision was made on Saturday Ollie had a chance to rescue his position at Watford it was an absolute shambles and we're not going to cover too much on that game, but it was atrocious, that that game. And the performances of a lot of the players was atrocious as well. And it's all right, Bruno Fernandes going to the away end and saying it's not on us. It, it's not on him, it's on us. He was one of the worst players and he's been a really good player since he signed. They were appalling. 4-1 against a team who were second favourites to go down. I, I worked with several Watford fans. Every single one of them was saying to me before the game, you're going to smash us today. I'm like, trust me, 
<laughs> you said that. You Are said you sure? that before the game in December nineteen, <laughs> and you know, even now we've got uncertainty with what's going forward. Laurie and I are going down to Villarreal for for the next game. I wouldn't say it's exciting because there's a lot of sadness about. But as a journalist, you know, you've really got to be on it, haven't you, Laurie? Yeah, you just mentioned about this weekend, and you know, get back to. Uh, you know the northwest. Um, uh, after driving back from Watford at like you know half ten, eleven kind of time, and I knew we, we're going to need a big read. You know that's what the athletic does—the deep dive. Um, we, <laughs> um, and I agree with Andy that actually that he could have actually still it transpired salvage his position at half from half time if they had a comeback on the cards. You know with Donny Van der Beek. I know you're shaking your head Ian, and that is right because ultimately what would have a 3-2 victory over Watford have, have really proven nothing. It would have still spoke to the issues at the heart of Solskjaer's management, but the way that the hierarchy is structured and the way that they think, the fact that they really wanted Oli to do well, and you can read into that whether that's because they think he's you know, the top manager or because actually he makes life comfortable with the way that he is with them and the fact that he says the right things in public, but he, they still might have saved him. If, if, he'd, you know, if Donny van der Beek who came on and did brilliantly, if he'd have um, been able to, you know, produce another moment, um, which he got close to, if Harry Maguire hadn't been sent off, United could have won that game easily. And in the end, you know, the, the, the scoreline reflected the, the balance of play. Absolutely. You know, Watford were deserved 4-1 winners. So that's what kind of makes you think, do the people in charge still know what they're doing? Because if that game had gone the other way and you know, they'd save Solskjaer, what makes you think that actually now they're in the right frame of mind to go and appoint the right manager? And we'll we'll get into, I suppose, the interim-interim situation, which seems astonishing to a lot of people in the industry. Yeah, and a crazy thing that the fans are picking up on as well now, that Aston Villa, Norwich, during that international break, decided that that was the right time, if they were going to do it, to change their managers. And when they were looking at the matches that were coming up ahead, they saw that that was a two-week break before a very, very intense period of the season between the game at Watford at the weekend and, and the new year, really, for Manchester United. There, there is barely a cigarette papers gap between the matches over the course of the next month. And that seems, Andy, like the worst possible time to be trying to find a new manager and letting them bed in and work and, and, and make a difference because there's just literally no time on the training ground between these games. It's literally recovery, preparation, and that's it, isn't it? You're right. And obviously, with hindsight, you're even more right. The fact is, Manchester United didn't have a plan B. United gave Ollie a three-year contract four months ago and up until two months ago things were going all right moving in the right direction everyone was congratulating themselves because Ronaldo had come in and Varane and Sancho had come in and I think it was only after the Liverpool game the agent started contacting United which is still you know a month ago and United didn't act what they did is they took the calls as we've said on previous podcasts they said thanks thank you we'll, we'll make a note of that but we're sticking with ollie this boils down to should manchester united have given ollie a final chance and they decided to give ollie a final chance at watford and that chance blew up in in united's face so united called called it wrong and now you have the situation which laurie just mentioned with the interim man you know the caretaker and the interim or interim then the caretaker and then bring your few mates <laughs> bring your mates in for a few to manage united for a few matches and then the permanent and how long is the permanent going to last because there's just been this cycle of two to three years of managers coming in without united 
ever getting closer to, to, to challenging for a league title. And, and, that, and that saddens me. Yeah, one thing actually I think that we should give a little bit of credit for from United's perspective is how they managed the sort of wording of the statement when Solskjaer, it was announced that Solskjaer was leaving. And I think the tone of that sort of struck a chord with a lot of Manchester United fans about being respectful for the legacy that Oli is leaving behind. And of course, the interview then fed into that as well. Very unusual step for a, a sacked manager, so to speak, um, giving an interview to the club that it has just got rid of him. Let's get a snippet then of, of what Ollie said. I'm sure you, you guys have heard it by now, but just a reminder of exactly the tone of that is probably quite pertinent at this point. Yeah, no, I, you know what I mean, what this club means to me and what I wanted to achieve here. I wanted us to take the next step to challenge for the, for the league, to win trophies. And I only think it's right that uh, it comes from the horse's mouth. I'm going to leave the fr uh, out the front door because I think everyone knows I've given everything for this club. It, the club means everything to me uh, and together we're, we're a good match. But uh, unfortunately, I couldn't uh, get the results uh, that we needed and um, it's time for me to step aside. It's been absolutely uh, enjoyable from first to the last minute. So I've got to thank all the players because since I came in, thank, they've been the top lads, top people. I want to thank thank the board and the, the owners as well to give me the opportunity. I'm so uh, honoured and privileged to have been been trusted to take the club forward, and I really hope that uh, I leave it in a better state uh, than when I came. I made great friends. I've reconnected with some great friends, uh, new new staff coming in, uh, the other staff that was here when I was there. We've good friends and we, we've connected. That's what it's about at a club like this, with the fans. Because the fans have been amazing. From day one at Cardiff till till the last one now. So, top, and we'll see each other again. As I, as I said, I think that I'm leaving this club, or I know I'm, I leave this club with a better squad. It's an environment I'm proud of leaving, because you have to enjoy coming in here. And uh, don't want to preempt anything, but uh, the two times I've left Molde, they won the league the year after. So all the best whoever takes over. That's the the expectations. I'm very happy with uh, and proud with, with what I've done with the with the good friends I've made, and uh, I wish all the all the best to everyone. You know the staff here is. We've been through criticisms and blah blah blah, but. The way they conduct themselves and the way they work, the knowledge and the attitude, I, I admire them. Hopefully the next manager comes in, I, I want to support him, I, I, I want him to be successful. Hopefully I've laid the foundation for that to happen because I know I'm good at what I'm doing. I'm 100% sure that to create an environment, a football environment, that's, that's where I'm good at. And uh, at some point I'll probably be back. Thank you very much. See you soon. Andy, what do you think of Ollie doing an interview? I was conflicted, if I'm honest. And then I found out that he wanted to do it. It was his shout to do it. And it's his right to do it. I remember when Moyes was sacked, I got the first ever text off David Moyes. Um, can you pass on this message to the fans? I'm sorry that I've been able to deliver the results that they've been used to. And I put that onto social media at the time in 2014. 
And that was his way of sort of saying goodbye. And he was clearly shell-shocked as well. And he just wanted to say sort of thanks for the support. I think from United's perspective, it, it gives what most sackings end in acrimony. And it's a relatively smooth um, way for Oli to, to walk away. Oli's maintained and he's maintained since, trust me. Um, he thinks he's done a decent job up until the last few weeks. And he's got a massive amount of affection for the club. This is not someone walking away going, this is disgraceful. Now, maybe he's having different conversations with his wife or whatever. I think he's someone who will really appreciate having a break now. Going to somewhere a little bit warmer. Not to manage, by the way. I'm not putting him into another job just to have a bit, bit of time off. And I think as well, it sort of leaves the last image as a man in a chair, reduced to tears almost at his frustration that he's not been able to deliver uh, exactly what he wanted. That you know the sort of like image of disappointment. And I think a lot of fans have sort of it, it struck a chord with people as well because you can tell that it was a man who genuinely cared and had done everything that he can, whether he was good enough or right or whatever is almost a different debate. It, it leaves the lasting prevailing image as as him sat sort of holding back the tears almost, as opposed to the final whistle at Watford, Laurie, being the final image. That, that's a very good point, actually, Ian, because I was there watching that scene unfold, thinking, how has it come to this, where he's, he's getting V-signs off the away fans? He was going over there, and he, he must have known at that point the game's up, and he wanted to go over and apologise. His hands are out, and it was just a sad scene, I felt, of a, of a broken situation. And then from that to then him being at Carrington in his own clothes, clearly raw... Um, clearly honest and genuine. Um, it was a nice window into what I think everybody can agree is uh, a very good football man. Um, he's always been, you know, pleasant with us. We've asked him, I think, tough questions that you know another manager might turn around and say, "Sod off! Who are you to ask me that?" And maybe that's part of the problem that Ollie was a little bit, you know, too uh, not afraid, but just doesn't come naturally to him conflict and he has tall strip strips off players but it, it it was never I don't I don't think there was a fair factor there and that I think maybe you need a little bit of that um, at elite level um, but I do think you know listen clearly there will be there was social in- interaction with that you know um, Twitter post and, and that is a part of the Manchester United machinery that they do they can monetize that you know they want a larger social media footprint so there is that slight aspect to it but very much the driving force was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wanting to do an exit interview and I think you can only say you know um, that he should be allowed to do that absolutely This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Right, to celebrate Black Friday, you can now take advantage of our best deal of the year. Subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of just £1 a month for a full 12 months. But hurry, the offer runs out at midnight on Sunday, November the 28th. You'll enjoy great analysis, of course, and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. And of course, if you're a Manchester United fan, now is a very good time to do this as well. The coverage has been the very, very best. The guys here, Laurie and Andy, have led from the front on all the coverage of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer departing Manchester United and, of course, will lead from the front on what comes next as well. Also, Laurie has appeared this week on the Athletic Football Podcast and, as we say, you'd get access to that. Uh, the ad-free version, always worth listening to, of course, no matter what is going on. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Pod. And if you're enjoying the show, do leave us a review as well. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Football, by the hell. So here we are then. We know that Michael Carrick will be in charge of the team for the time being, which means he'll certainly take charge for the trip to Villarreal this weekend. But beyond that, we're not sure. We'll get into that. But now seems an appropriate time to hear from Michael Carrick. We are recording before his first press conference as the Manchester United caretaker manager. So I'll leave a slot here for our producer to stick in the best bits from that press conference. I found out was, uh, yesterday morning at the training ground. Um, I didn't know anything uh, at all up until then. Uh, I don't think any of us did. So a um, bit of a rush then to kind of organise training and speak to the players and, and, and obviously carry out the day's work. But... Uh, it went it went really well. All things considered, yesterday um, everyone kind of adapted, reacted, and dealt with it in in um, a real classy manner. And, and obviously, Ollie was epitomised that of of of, of how he um, how he addressed everyone, how he how he behaved. It's no surprise really, but it just shows the the real class of the man and how humble and 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 how loyal he is. And, um, even in that situation. Um, and then, yeah, as, as I've said, it's it's just about me preparing the team for tomorrow night as best as we can. What's next is we're just about to catch a flight to Spain and prepare the boys ready for for the game tomorrow. That really is my focus. That's what I'm looking forward to, and, and, and I can't wait for the game to come round. The, the biggest thing for for the fans and for, for for everyone is a result. That's the biggest thing. I could sit I could sit here and say all sorts of different things, and I would be speaking the truth, you know, about the tra- the training and, and the players and how much we really want to do well for this club and, and most of them have done well in the past, some have just come come through the door but honestly right now sitting here I, I don't think that counts for much, I think it's about what happens now and over the next game, over the next few days and getting the right results and, and, and how we perform on the pitch, how we go about our business, how we carry ourselves, how we behave, how we perform, um, there's a whole whole responsibility with that, that comes playing for this club, that maybe doesn't come with playing for many other clubs um, and that's something that the challenge that we embrace and we, we respect massively I have done all the time that I've been at this club um, and that's that's what we expect of, of, of the players for sure and um, that's what will happen, no doubt Yeah, they're a very good team very well, very well organised, very well coached they've got a good balance so we respect that, yes we've played, played them like you say a couple of times so we know each other a little bit better so we've gone there with a plan to to come out on top and and then look forward to the game. It's 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 a big game, big game for both teams. Obviously, at this stage of the competition, that goes without saying, but it's the one that we can go there and really look forward to. So Carrick spoken then, of course, United face a really intense period starting 
now. I mean, it's incredible, really, isn't it? He's literally had no time at all to get his feet under the table, Andy. And, and I think, in a way, United had to do this, didn't they? To strip out the manager and the entire coaching staff when they've literally gone a match hours away. A really important one in the Champions League at Villarreal was the only way they could do this, wasn't it? Yeah, but it goes back to your earlier point. Should it have been done uh, two weeks ago to give a little bit more time? So we are where we are now. I've got that huge game. At Villarreal, they've got seven points like United after four matches. United are top of the group because they've got a better head-to-head over uh, Villarreal. But as we saw at Old Trafford, Villarreal played really, really well. They obviously won in Gdansk in the Europa League final. They've got some very, very uh, good players. I've interviewed one of them, um, Etienne Capoue, for the Athletic. And he's vengeful. You know, he was man of the match in Gdansk. He played really well at Old Trafford. And... He was congratulated for that by everybody apart from his dad, who's a big Manchester United fan. But they're not messing about. Unai Emery is a really, really good manager tactically. He gets things right far often, more often than he gets things wrong. So I'm a little bit worried about the the game at, at, at Villarreal. You look at all Manchester United's great players, but <laughs> look at the evidence we've seen from them recently. It's it's a huge game, yeah. I mean. I, I am, I suppose, because what what is going to change from the dishevelment that we saw at Vicarage Road that we've seen against Liverpool, that we've seen against Leicester, that we've seen against Atalanta and Villarreal before? What is going to change? Um, that's on Carrick now, you know. So that's that's a that is the difference. He now picks the team. Will he lean more heavily on Mike Phelan, who was perhaps not as uh, involved? Uh, as you might expect, I suppose, because Kieran McKenna was entrusted a, a lot by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, but he now picks the team. And listen, I think he has to make changes um, because there's some players clearly that are not performing. And Solskjaer, you know, to his credit, wants to stick by certain players. But equally, they've ultimately got him the sack, some of them. Um, seven players started all four of those defeats. Um, and Mason Greenwood uh, didn't start the Watford one because he's got COVID. So it's... You know, I think now is the chance for Michael Carrick to, you know, to, to show what he's about. He clearly, he's been a coach there for a long time. He's been a player there. He knows Old Trafford, the structure of it inside and out. Um, it'd be interesting to see how he is in a press conference. You know, that's another element to a you know manager's role that a coach doesn't have to deal with. You know, that mental side, um, how much sort of stress does that take up compared to what you're trying to do on the training pitches? So... That'll be an interesting dynamic for him to navigate. Um, but yeah, the actual game against Villarreal, it's huge, isn't it? Because uh, you know they're head on head to head. So if they lose, um, I guess it depends on the scoreline. But that will, you know, they'll, they'll be three points behind Villarreal with needing to beat Young Boys in the last game and hope that there's the right result in the Atalanta game um, for them to qualify. It, it really be- becomes a, a, a you know a dicey situation. And for United not to qualify from a group with Villarreal, Atalanta and Young Boys would be an absolute disaster and it's a huge moment. So, you know, clearly this game has a lot, lot riding on it. Yeah, and Andy, in terms of the decisions that Carrick is going to have to take straight away and and decisions on individual players that Carrick's going to have to uh, make straight away, Harry Maguire's a big one, isn't it? Because again, at the weekend... He just looked miles off the player who'd impressed in the Manchester United shirt previously. That sending off, of course, means he misses the match at Chelsea at the weekend. So that that's another headache that Carrick will, will probably have to deal with after this Villarreal game. 
But for this match as well, his individual performances must be a huge concern. It's an even bigger one when you've not got Rafael Varane as well, probably the best defender at the club. Eric Bailly was fantastic for Villarreal. That's the reason Manchester United um, bought him. He's been less fantastic for, for Manchester United. I'm sure Villarreal would have him back um, in a heartbeat, but he'd probably have to be on a quarter of the wages if that was to happen. It's a really, really um, difficult game looking at it from where from where we are now I don't know what changes Michael Carrick's going to make I don't know how bold he's going to be I don't know whether he was influencing Ollie in terms of his selections as well and and he he likes the same players Michael Carrick's done very little media I interviewed him several times when he was a player and he was a good talk he wasn't a great talker uh, and he's a nice guy but he's he's not the vocal type um, we're going to see what he's like as a as a manager and how much of it should be on him if Villarreal were to score another four goals against Manchester United? You know, the United have, and, and the, the coaches, they've got all the information on Villarreal. They've been properly scouted, the analysts. They obviously know the opponents because this will be the third time they've played them since, since May. But it looks pretty daunting from where I am now, having spoken to their best player and heard what he's got to say on the record about how him and his teammates are feeling and how annoyed they still are that they lost the game at Old Trafford in September. Yeah, Laurie, who could come in then for, for Carrick in terms of the decisions he makes? I guess Donny van der Beek's performance in the second half has given him a chance to start in this match against Villarreal. There's others as well, isn't there, uh, who, who could get an opportunity in this game potentially? Yeah, I think Donny's the big one, isn't it? I mean, um, it was in the press box on Saturday, we're kind of like each looking at each other thinking, you know, where's this been? And maybe he had the capacity to, to do that throughout his 18 months or however long it is since he's been at Manchester United, Donny van der Beek, because he was brilliant. He was, um, not only did he score, he created a couple of chances, passing was always, you know, positive looking forward and clearly this the circumstances of the game enhanced that, you know, he had, he had to be that kind of way. But he also put a hard tackle in on Ishmael Saar that maybe was a foul, but he kind of gets up and he's like, you know, what's he, what's he down on the floor for? What's the problem? And, you know, a bit of fight about him. I, I enjoyed that. Um, so I think he has to start, doesn't he, against Villarreal just because, you know, you can't go from putting in that kind of performance and then going back on the bench. That'll kill the guy. So I think I think he has to start, and I think that would be fair enough because you've got Fred still. You know, had played twice for Brazil. Scott McTominay um, was coming back from illness. Um, he got replaced obviously at half time. Although I think Nemanja Matic was actually the worst performer out of the, out of the two of them. He kept giving the ball away, um, and then Paul Pog was injured. So you kind of think it's it's really made there for Donny Van der Beek. I think Aaron Wambasaka needs a spell out of the team or needs just to have some kind of genuine feeling of competition because, you know, he's played every single minute of the Premier League uh, so far. He's the only outfield player to do so. And, and that doesn't quite sit right with me when his performances haven't merited that. Um, so Diogo Dallo, I guess, is the only person that can come in. And I, I do think he, you know, as we, we discussed, Ian, you know, he didn't have a great game against Villarreal last time. <laughs> he's still chasing Dan Juma, I think, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying that that maybe was uh, the you know fault of I guess the the structure that they were trying to produce where he was sort of doing this Yao Cancelo role of dropping into midfield and then Villarreal just went okay well we'll just go down the flanks then thanks um, and listen he obviously I've seen sometimes where he, he's looked a bit out of puff um, but he, you know he plays for Portugal you know um, he was at the Euros you hope I think he'd do the running that Ronaldo you know would like and he, I think he's certainly better offensively than Wambasaka, so there's that. I also wonder if Alex Tellis, um, you know, should come in at some 
stage because you've got Luke Shaw there who, you know, he's had concussion for a start. He then went off, you know, again with a concussion sub at Vicarage Road. He's looking like he perhaps needs a break and he, he hit the heights that he did do, you know, in the last sort of year or so because you had Alex Telles there as a genuine rival and, you know, Telles obviously scored that great goal uh, against Villarreal as well. So, yeah, they're, they're some of the sort of changes that I think could happen. Um, we'll see, won't we? Um, you know, Carrick's got the decisions to make and he, he knows the players, he sees them every day. Yeah, and he needs to sort of get them into some sort of shape, not only for this game, but also to take on a very difficult opposition who are absolutely flying in the Premier League as well. The trip to Stamford Bridge this weekend, which we won't worry about just yet. But of course, we will go into uh, great detail on Thursday's Talk of the Devils to preview that match as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right, let's talk about the structure then to sort of round things off really because it's an interesting move. I sort of said before, Andy, that they maybe had to do this because of like the, the, the lack of time and the lack of sort of space between these matches in the immediate circumstance. But to, to spell out so clearly in the statement that Michael Carrick was in charge for the forthcoming matches, he was the interim until an actual sort of permanent interim. No, that's not the right way of putting it. He's the caretaker until the, the an official interim manager is in charge between that point and the end of the season. Then, of course, with the inference that a permanent manager would then be appointed in the summer. I mean, this is a very unusual thing to sort of set your stall out doing, isn't it? Yeah. And it could lead to several soap operas where you don't just have who will Manchester United's next manager be. It's a never-ending story who's the interim boss gonna be and then what if the interim boss does really well like Ollie Gunnar did well at the minute it seems clearer who the potential permanent manager could be in sort of like six months time than who the interim manager could be at maybe the end of the week it does and I do not know the answer to that question all I do know was with the cultural reboot at Manchester United uh, this was supposed to be that there was a proper organisation in place to prevent things like this happening, but it seems like the club have been completely uh, caught out by it. So I've done a piece for The Athletic on who the next manager could or should be and who those interim candidates are. But this is a fast-moving situation. I don't think as we speak now on the Monday that the decision uh, has been made. I do know, as I said, that the club have been taking calls and will be going through the various candidates and then who makes that decision? Well, you've got a football committee, if you like, and they they would vote on on players. 
and they're going to be voting on the interim manager. How long's Carrick in charge for, Laurie? Th- th- nobody knows. I don't think he knows. You know, they, they got told yesterday at Carrington that they would be staying on. That was unclear overnight. You know, there were some reports that everybody had been, you know, sacked and, and they were erroneous. You know, it was only El Gunnar Solskjaer, but even the coaches only found out, um, you know, on Sunday morning, uh, once they got to Carrington, Edward Wood took control of that situation, which is right because he is, you know, the head of the football kind of structure um, at the moment and he absolutely owned the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer appointment and the continued backing of him so therefore he should be the one to you know tell him to his face yeah that's it time's up but I do have a concern that he is now also in charge of picking the interim or even the next permanent manager wasn't he supposed to step down you know because he couldn't back the Super League proposals or there was some kind of you know um shame in the fact that he was a conspirator to that event and now it seems like actually he is going to hang around and there's some consultancy role that's being talked about that I think is very uh, possible and it makes me think that actually the whole resignation thing was either ill thought out or was a kind of smokescreen to distract from the actual eventuality that he still is there and calling the shots and he hasn't got it right repeatedly so I don't know why he would still be in place Um, so that concerns me. Because I would say that you've created a structure where you've got a technical director and a football director in Darren Fletcher and John Murta, but are they actually given the authority to go and make those decisions? They obviously both know football. John Murta has been a football administrator for a number of years. Darren Fletcher, obviously a player. And there is a, an interesting dynamic with Fletcher in terms of, you know, he does the um, the, the warm-ups, uh, he's on the bench, um, he trains with the team so that's a lot of people are saying to me that is a, a very unusual you know they, they've never heard of a technical director do those kind of things so there needs to be clarity there needs to be genuine authority given to people in positions to then go and do their jobs properly and that is why I think I'm still uncertain as to whether United then pick you know the right person um, to, to come in I mean me and Andy can kind of bat around a few names, I guess. Your piece was, was really interesting, Andy. Ralph Rangnick is one that I'd heard that United like, John Murta particularly. Um, I think he's done work with him in the past. Um, and, you know, he's at Locomotive Moscow right now. He went there in the summer, so it's only a recent thing. So you've got that to kind of get your head around. Would he come only on this interim basis? Would anyone come only on an interim basis? That's, as you say, Ian, it's weird that they've kind of announce this um, you know would they want guarantees of a position beyond that point Um, but I think Ralph Rangnick would at least be uh, a person clearly you know absolutely dripping in football knowledge you know been a key part of of the German wave of of, of managers and head coaches so I think he'd be a really interesting appointment Um, we'd heard a little bit of um, whether Laurent Blanc had had a shout he's over in Qatar at the moment, he was obviously spoken to before Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got the job on a caretaker basis, was sort of one of the candidates in that situation, but he hasn't managed at a high level for a number of years. So there's, there's sort of, you know, again, doubts about him. Um, and I mean, listen, longer term, as you've alluded to, Ian, the, the Mauricio Pochettino shadow looms large. Edward Woods obviously, um, you know, knows all about him. Sir Alex Ferguson um, is a, a key um, you know, ally, I suppose. He has great admiration for Mauricio Pochettino. Right now, he's in charge of PSG and he's, it's difficult to get people out of PSG if PSG don't want you to leave. And The stories seem to be, though, at the minute, Laurie, that he'd be interested in taking over straight away. So if that is a doable situation for Manchester United, does that change everything that was said in the statement? Did they just go and get Poch? Simple as that. Well, I think, yeah, I think the statement is obviously one that they've kind of done as a, a bit of a placeholder. So, yeah, it, I, I wouldn't necessarily 
say that that is absolutely guaranteed to happen. So yeah, plans can change. Um, but I'd still, you know, people that I've spoken to about it just think that getting him out of PSG would be very difficult. Um, so, you know, maybe United already know that, um, whatever Pochettino's you know, preferences might be. Um, and we have to say, you know, Pochettino might come out and say, actually, I'm very happy here, you know, but equally, you know, the, the sort of noises we hear that actually he would be open to a Premier League return and Manchester United clearly is a huge carrot for him. He's He's been very interested in the job in the past, so why would he not now? But um, I don't know, Andy, if you've heard different additional information. Yeah, well, in in addition to that, um, Zidane's name was always put forward. I had no evidence that he wanted to manage in England. I don't know him. But I know people who do know him. Um, I've always liked Luis Enrique. I do know him. And I know that at times he's wanted to manage in England. But I'm also told he's very happy managing the Spanish national team. Uh, there are other names mentioned in the piece for the interim role. Uh, one name I mentioned was Rudy Garcia, who was um, last in charge of, of, of Leon. If I pick out two matches which I've seen in the last few years, apart from Man United, which have really made me go, wow. It was Ajax beating Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. Um, managed by um, Eric Tenag. And I remember before that game speaking to the Ajax journalists and they said, yeah, he's, his job's under pressure. We think he's going to lose his job. And then after that game, so it just shows you, doesn't it? You know, you get all these like, um, these consensuses of opinions now. I've got the quotes which I took before that match off people who follow Ajax every single week. He's a poor communicator. We want to go back to how we were. And I've also got his quotes from after that game. That was close to perfect, which it was. So his stock has gone up and up. And then the other game was when Leon beat Manchester City with um, a midfielder, three nine-year-olds. And again, I was there. And I was like, whoa, where's this come from? And then I spoke to the manager, um, Rudy Garcia. He'd done really well with um, Lille, led them to the double, brought through Eden Hazard, helped develop those young players at at Leon, um, Memphis Depay. But what he has done is he's gone into troubled, struggling big clubs like Roma, where everybody says you can have loads of problems with Totti and De Rossi. He got them on side straight away. He speaks five languages, including English. He went into Marseille when they were 15th, took them right up the table into the Europa League um, final. So that's an another name who would absolutely be interested in, in Manchester United. It's a very, very attractive job for a lot of football managers. It's just the timing that's awkward because most of the best managers uh, are in employment because they're the best managers. You look like you're quite interested in Rudy Garcia then, Ian. Who, who, would you, uh, who would you go for? Go on. Yeah, the more Andy was talking about him, he seemed more and more appealing with every sentence that he went through. I just think United have to try their very best to get this right because like we've been talking throughout this podcast, it just seems to be getting messier and messier as each decision's made. We're not only talking now about the sort of manager's position and sorting that out. We're talking about sorting out the manager's position right now, then the interim basis, then at the end of the season. Beyond that, we're then saying, is the structure right above? Who's making the decisions? Is the executive vice chairman going to be the executive vice chairman much longer? Are the football administrators who were brought in, are they actually having a say on things that are happening on the football side of things? Just all of it doesn't seem to be as clear as it needs to be. And... and I can't remember who said it and which player they were referring to, but players usually just want certainty. They, they want structure. They want stability. They want to know who the manager is. They want to know who's in the team. They want to know which players are playing week to week, what style we're playing. 
and none of this really seems to feed into that idea that United are stable at the moment and and the team is that then giving the team the best opportunity to be a success not only in the match you know tomorrow at Villarreal but beyond that and and long term as well so I think it's just a situation now that they can't afford to make messier it has to get more straightforward from this point uh, we will talk more no doubt whatsoever about the manager's position both short term and long term on Thursday's talk of the devils but in the meantime, please go and have a look at The Athletic. There's some absolutely brilliant articles about the situation at Manchester United right now. We've spoken about Andy's piece there on who the next manager for Manchester United could be. Uh, we also spoke earlier in the pod about Laurie's piece that he wrote with Adam Crafton about where it's gone wrong for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Michael Cox has got a take on there about why United have been conceding so many goals in recent weeks. Dan Taylor has also written more in depth about the problems running far deeper uh, than Solskjaer for Manchester United as well. Lots of brilliant content up there on The Athletic. A reminder as well that you can subscribe with a discount, the best offer of the year, we're calling it, um, around Black Friday. So it's just £1 a month for a full 12 month. Uh, but the offer does run out on Sunday, November the 28th. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to take control of that. Um, a final word then from both of you, if you can, briefly, if possible, Um on Solskjaer, what would you say to him, Laurie, if you spoke to him today? I'd love to pick his brains. I'd just be like, thank you for being a good person to deal with. Um, and also, what went on? What was going on? Tell us, give us some gossip. Because clearly he, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like that. He was obviously restrained in what he said publicly. He, he valued the club you know, more than anything. And he therefore gauged what he said you know, carefully. So I'd just love to kind of have a little chat with him and, and say, you know, I suppose, what was your best moment? And then what was your worst moment? And how did those things um, sort of intertwine and, and kind of what went wrong ultimately? Because I'm sure he, you know, knows an awful lot about <laughs> what it goes on behind the scenes and how Manchester United could be better. And I think if if you had, you know, people like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer working in all aspects of the job, I think United would be in a good place. Andy, what would you say? Well, I have said, cheers, nice one, in Norwegian, cheers for Paris, it's brilliant. No, it's a shame that, um, it's just a real shame that it didn't work out because I was pretty supportive to him and I think he needed that support. I think it's a very difficult club to manage at for the reasons that you've both touched on and got huge egos in the dressing room as well. It's not going to be easy if whoever comes in as the interim caretaker, permanent, whatever we're going to call him, however managers we're going to get. And I just think the last couple of months shouldn't overshadow um, a decent job that he did, but ultimately he didn't win any trophies. And if I had to pick one moment as a high and a low, Paris would be the high because it was absolutely brilliant. And if that makes me sound small time saying it, because... United didn't win a trophy, then so be it. I know I felt that night in Paris. I know the United fans felt that night in Paris in the rain and it was incredible. And the low point, I, I spoke to him after the Europa League in Gdansk and he knew that United had missed a major, major opportunity there to win a big European uh, trophy. It's not the European Cup, but that would have been significant. Do you not think, Laurie? Huge. I think that was probably the beginning of the end because 
to it was it was you know he was outdone tactically in that game. I know it was a draw and I know it was penalties and, and very you know it's paper thin. It could have gone either way, but United should have been winning that game. And I think as you say, the idea that he could be you know we were there in, in Poland building up to it and the fact of him having won a European trophy with Manchester United as a player to then go and double that as a manager it was just huge it was such a golden opportunity and then for it to fall apart in the way that it did I think it would you know it obviously left him distraught and you know to try and rebuild yourself from that point is difficult and to try and maintain that kind of authority that you have over the players is difficult so I agree with you though the for me I think I've said this before but football is about an emotional connection where those moments that you have with your friends with your family watching together in the stands or you know in the pub or whatever and Solskjaer you know reignited that because he obviously you know cared about the club and you had that for me I had that emotional connection from when I was you know a kid watching the team and maybe that's smoutsy and nostalgic and you know football's not like that but I think given the way that modern football is dominated by you know kind of transigent moments and, and, and money um, having Solskjaer at the helm um, was very enjoyable you know United scored quite a few goals you know a lot of the football was was actually quite fun okay it also got pretty chaotic and, and pretty disastrous but I would still think that Solskjaer and when you speak to people around Carrington and around the club you know they say that he restored certain values about about the place that they are you know forever grateful for yeah, I'll never forget my wife laughing at me, sat on the sofa, kicking every single ball for the last sort of 20 minutes in Paris, getting more and more edgy uh, the closer it got to the final whistle. We'll always have that. I don't think it is small time, Andy. Yeah, all right, it was a knockout game. It wasn't the final or whatever else. But considering the way things had gone for United up until that point, it was a, it was a major, major moment. I think Gary Neville summed it up really nicely when he said that uh, Ollie had restored some soul into the club. Um, his Manchester United team felt more like a Manchester United team than any of the people who'd taken over for me uh, after Sir Alex Ferguson had left. And and I do think, you know, there was success there. Yes, the last few months had been pretty awful. Liverpool was dreadful, City was worse. But, um, but yeah, before that, it was great. So for that, Ollie, on behalf of Manchester United fans, thank you. Thank you for all that you did. But that's it for now. We'll be back on Thursday, like we say, post Villarreal. Maybe there'll be another manager in charge by then, I don't know. But it's Michael Carrick, of course. We'll reflect on the result, whatever happens in Spain. And also we'll bring you right up to date with everything going on and the search for both the interim and permanent manager of Manchester United as well. But thank you for listening. Thank you, Andy, for joining us and Laurie as well, of course, as always. And we'll see you on Thursday. Bye-bye. Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.